Terra Talks, a podcast where I discuss environmental issues with a variety of guests from different backgrounds who all have a common goal of transforming our world into a more sustainable and environmentally conscious place. This is a solo episode where I reflect on how 2020 and 2021 have provided me the opportunity to reflect on how white supremacy and racism have impacted every facet of my life. Right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. It's Amanda, your host of Earth Awareness, Inc. Um, Yeah, I kind of wasn't planning on making this podcast, but uh, just in lieu of everything that's happened and seeing all the uh, anti-Asian hate and attacks occurring in Canada and the United States, um, yeah, I felt the need to record this. So, as you probably know what's going on right now, um, there was a mass murder in a series of Asian-owned massage parlors in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am really frustrated by how the media is, I guess, representing this and how even the police force is creating a narrative that the assailant was having a bad day, um... I think everyone has bad days, but I don't think that warrants what happened. And I'm incredibly sad for the AAPI community. Um, And I can't speak for them, of course, um, but I can speak for my experiences um, being a Chinese Canadian. Um, So yeah, I wanted to hop on here and just discuss some of my experiences growing up quite honestly I had never really thought about this too much until recently until the pandemic um so 2020 and 2021 has been a very enlightening year for me and yeah I just wanted to share it with my audience and I hope you enjoy so all right so I'll just start from the beginning I'm gonna kind of take you through my life uh, starting from me as a child and my experiences and how those kind of shaped how I view the world as an adult. And so, yeah. All right. So, yeah, my name's Amanda. I'm from Anhui, China. So I'm adopted. And I was adopted by a wonderful couple who are Canadian couple, but they are from Hong Kong. So, yeah, I was luckily lucky enough to be adopted by people who share a similar culture as me and so I don't deal with the same type of identity issues and challenges that maybe other adoptees may experience when they are adopted by uh, non-Asian parents okay so yeah I was brought to Canada in 1997 and I grew up in North York. I was raised, I would say, I definitely had privilege. I grew up in North York. I went to a lot of private schools. And yeah, like I said, I didn't think about my race or ethnicity. Like I knew and acknowledged I was Asian, but, you know, I didn't put a lot of thought into it until 2020. A thought that I have frequently now is that I've never been more aware of my race. I also wanted to note after reading a lot of comments in some of the posts that are being put up by Asian creators on Instagram, there are a lot of people who are saying, oh, well, 
this is not like a race or white supremacy issue. Um, and people saying, oh, a lot of the attacks against the Asian community aren't by white people. Uh, so just to refresh what white supremacy is. According to Francis Lee Ainsley's definition is white supremacy is the political, economic and cultural system in which whites overwhelmingly control power and material resources and develop conscious and unconscious ideas of white superiority and entitlement that are widespread. It's also the relations of white dominance and non-white subordination that are daily reenacted across a broad array of institutions and social settings okay so that was a little mishmash but hopefully you got that so i wanted to highlight bipoc people can permeate and participate in white supremacy so you don't have to be a white person to participate in the white supremacist system and permeate those beliefs a little refreshing just in case people needed one all right next all right, so like I'm just going to hop into my experiences from a child. And starting from the age of like five or six, um, I think I started noticing comments that were being directed to me. I think children before the age of five or six don't really totally understand race. Mostly because race is a construct of society that children don't fully understand until they're older. Since primary school, I've always kind of been aware of myself being a little bit different. Like I said, I grew up in North York. I went to private school in the late 90s, early 2000s, which was a time where um, private schools were mostly dominated by Caucasian people. And I still think it's kind of the case, but I think it's changing. Um, and I do like remember wanting to be accepted by my white classmates. And um, when you're age five, six, seven, seven, more, when you start acknowledging it, um, being accepted as being included in the schoolyard and playing during recess. I I've, like vividly remember trying to play with these group of girls who were all Caucasian. And every time I asked to play with them, they would say, okay, but you have to be the villains the villains in their games and their imaginary games I had to be the bad guy so they would run away from me and laugh at me and I mean I accepted it like I thought okay well if this is the only way I can interact with them and be accepted I guess I will I will play this role I will fit their narrative um but I think at the same time, when I start playing this role of being a villain and being seen as a bad person, it instills like a feeling of maybe some kind of embarrassment and shame, and in my own culture and the way I looked. Um, so maybe people may ask, like, well, did you interact with a lot of people of your own ethnicity in other spaces? And like many other Chinese kids, I went to Chinese school. I went to Cantonese school from the age of around six to eight. Like, it's kind of fuzzy. I I mean, I'm reaching back in my memory, but six to eight. And then I started Mandarin school from ages nine to 11. But yeah, just despite their best efforts, I didn't retain a lot of my Cantonese. I can't speak it. I understand it, but I cannot speak it. And Mandarin, yeah, do not understand or, yeah, speak Mandarin. Um, but yeah, um, so they tried. But when you're also confronted by people in your daytime life making fun of your language and saying like ching chong or whatever, 
and making fun of the way you look and your ethnic food, at least for me, it just kind of pushed me away, further away from my culture. I didn't want to associate so closely with it. And I, I honestly, like I said, I didn't realize how deep those comments were hurt and how long they would stay with me and affect my actions and my behaviors into the future. So another experience I had, and I think a lot of um, like Asian Americans and Asian Canadians can um, relate to this, is the idea in school where for some reason we're considered like the math whizzes we are considered super smart and we are all gifted um don't get me wrong like i worked hard my parents pushed me but like when i didn't attain these standards not only for my parents but by my own classmates like that it, it like really does affect how you think of yourself and i i remember starting from like grade six students would ask me oh Amanda like what did you get on this test what did you get on this math exam and they would find out and they would tell everyone else in front of my face like I wasn't even like hidden I they would go and be like I I did better than Amanda in this exam and she's Asian so that's an achievement because I like outperformed an Asian in math uh, yeah, so like that became like the onset of my embarrassment and pressure to perform and low self-esteem in my the academic world. To kind of combat that feeling, um, I began telling people, oh no, like, I'm a dumb Asian. I'm, I'm an Asian that can't do math just to convince people to lower their expectations of me, just to reduce the pressure and the competition against me. And I still use that tactic into university. Like I started using that tactic in grade six and grade seven. I kept it with me into university. So people may ask, okay, well, did you bring them to your parents? Did you, you know, as a child may share these experiences with their parents? I did. Not a lot. Uh, I, I did mention it to them in the past, but when I did, um, my, my parents did sometimes ask me like if I was getting maybe bullied or singled out they said okay well what did you do for them to pick on you um and then maybe dismiss the conversation after and I don't blame them like I do think that's part of the problem um so like me recognizing that now like it helps me move on but I don't necessarily completely blame them because this could be like a coping mechanism that's been taught to them my parents moved to Canada in the 70s 80s and they lived in like small towns in Canada uh, so I can imagine racism was pretty prevalent and these could have been just coping mechanisms and skills that they learned to just get by. Um, I don't think we should continue them but I can't blame them for adopting these measures like these measures and also could be linked to like I said the model minority myth if you've followed some of my other videos and content. Um, yeah because a lot of the Asian community is seen as not wanting to cause issues and if we feel uncomfortable with something we don't speak up um but yeah I think that definitely taught me that I couldn't voice my feelings and thoughts and opinions because if I did I would be causing problems for other people um and even though I was feeling shameful and I was feeling like People didn't like my ethnicity. I, I couldn't speak out about it. So, 
yeah, it just kind of causes some confusion as a child trying to live life and get through it. So yeah, what happened next? Um, as much as these experiences that happened in mostly white spaces affected me, I actually continued to live my life predominantly in white spaces. Yeah, I, I took out a lot of my value and my ability to be accepted by these groups. So it's pretty obvious that 2020 and 2021 had a really big impact on me as well as providing me spaces where I could learn about and read about other Asian people's experiences in North America. And it has provided me the insight and the time to reflect on how my early childhood has shaped my my views on the world and my actions. So I wanted to kind of end that part and then transition and discuss my experiences in the dating world and if I've experienced racism. So as a woman, I feel like in society in general, like our value is inherently related to our ability to find a male partner. Like that's just, which we should also like address. We can maybe in another podcast some on some other time. But yeah, so I remember at the cusp of my teenage years, um, a girl in my grade um, asked a boy in my grade in front of me, what do you think of Amanda? I don't even remember the conversation that led up to this, but they were doing it in a way where they were asking boys, oh, who would you like in the grade or who do you have a crush on? So she asked him, what do you think of Amanda? And I was standing right in front of him and he said, oh, I would never like a girl like her. And I think what stuck with me the most was the like her comment. What did he mean? Like her. Like we weren't friends. I didn't talk to him. So it couldn't have been anything about my personality or my character. And so the only thing that I could think of again was, okay, so it's my look. It's my outside. It's my ethnicity. And so you can just pile on that onto like my identity confusion of wanting to fit in with Westerns Western society and Caucasian people, but still being single out because of my look. And yep, that comment just added to that (laughs) confusion that's happening inside my brain. And when I mean confusion, I mean a little bit of self-loathing and shame because like I said, our value comes from our ability to attract boys and Apparently, I couldn't attract them. So so what did that mean? It meant that in my adult life, I accepted and overlooked a lot of behaviors that are not acceptable. And were race-based. And I didn't even fully acknowledge that they were racialized. So there was a partner I had um, when I was 20. And he came from a small town in Ontario northern Ontario and he would frequently comment on my eyes but not like oh your your eyes are so pretty it was oh your eyes are small and he would then pinch his fingers together and say your eyes are this small yeah they're this small my eyes are this big and would constantly comment on how small my eyes were and I started to realize that he was making fun of my ethnic look And for whatever reason, I didn't fully want to acknowledge that this was a form of racism. And I didn't call it out, Frank. Like, and I feel like a lot of people who are in relationships 
are a little more tentative to call out racist behavior. Now, I don't know, at least for me, that's the case, but I don't know about you. Hopefully that's not the case for you. Hopefully you could call it out. But another thing that was really surprising was this person wasn't super young. This person was in his mid-20s and thought this behavior was okay. And all I could think of when he was saying these things was my feeling of when I was in the schoolyard and kids would like push their eyes back and be like, your eyes look like this. These are how your eyes look. They're small. But I didn't say anything. I didn't overly think about it. And I just let it it slide a few too many times, clearly. (laughs) And obviously people in his life let it slide a few too many times as well because he didn't see what the problem was making those comments. So the second scenario, which made me question whether I was fetishized by previous partners, was with one in my early 20s as well when I was 22. And this partner would regularly search up adult entertainment with Asian women. And at some point, he actually did it in front of me. And I felt really uncomfortable. And I didn't understand if this is how he viewed Asian women and whether he expected me to act the way that these adult performers were portraying Asian women in the media or in that space. Now, I'm not here to shame anyone if you choose to do that with your partners. I think a problem was that there was this expectation that I would be okay with it. I didn't consent to what happened. Um, It was simply just shoved in my face and I didn't know how to react and I didn't know what to say. Um, but now reflecting on that moment, it definitely isn't normal and it wasn't something that I wanted to participate in. And I also wanted to note that these partners were Caucasian. While I wouldn't accept that kind of behavior now, I was dealing with a lot of low self-esteem, a lot of confusion in my identity, as well as a really strong desire to want to feel validated by these people because I've grown up wanting to be validated by these people, as well as men. (laughs) When you combine those all together, you end up in this really weird headspace, not a great one, where you, or at least for me, I may have subconsciously adopted some of these prejudices and views of Asian women. Like I'm supposed to be subservient. I'm supposed to be submissive. And and then you compound that on my lack of confidence in voicing my opinions and my views as well as my boundaries. And you just end up with a less than ideal situation. So I hope if you take anything out of my dating life is... If someone or a partner, doesn't matter if they're serious or casual, if they say something kind of racist or makes you uncomfortable, just call it out because just don't be like me in my early 20s. All right, so now I'm going to talk about my experience with racism in my professional and academic career. Now, I am going to say racism in those places and spaces are not as obvious. People are not going to tell me to my like face, oh, I don't like Asian girls. Um, That doesn't really happen. It's mostly um, just things they say that are racially based, uh, behaviors that they do that make you feel like you're different or not accepted by their groups. Um, So yeah, I'll further elaborate in a bunch of different scenarios. And yeah, first story happened to my undergrad where we were getting a bunch of our exams regraded and we had to do it in a lineup. I hated this, but yeah, we had to line up, sit down with the prof in front of everyone else. And he would ask you for whatever reason, he wanted to ask us where our hometown was. So I told him, I said, okay, I'm from Toronto. 
and he he was like oh no but like Toronto's too big you have to tell me where you're actually like municipality wise where do you live and before I could even answer he's like oh you're from Markham right and I said no I'm not from Markham I'm and he says oh no then you're from Scarborough and I looked at him I said no like he wasn't even letting me answer the question and finally I said no I'm from North York and he just looks at me and goes oh like he wasn't expecting me to be from North York. Now, there's nothing wrong with being from Scarborough or Markham. I go there a lot when I'm in Toronto. Um, but they are known for having a higher Asian population. And I just think it just came off as a little bit off the way he asked me and then didn't allow me the opportunity to answer the question and just assumed where I was from based off how I looked. He didn't even know my name. And he didn't get the time to really know me. He just assumed I was from Markham and Scarborough. Another experience I had was when I was placed in a group project that was semester, like a whole semester long. And yeah, we had to like collaborate, create an idea, work off this idea and solve the problem over the whole semester. And by chance, this was a all Caucasian group. And also I was the only female in the group. And so I remember we had to submit our first evaluation for it um, and the TA pulled me aside and said, you seemed like you didn't understand the topic of your project. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, I didn't because my group members didn't even invite me and didn't let me know when they were meeting to collaborate and figure out the topic of the project. They just told me in class in passing, said, oh yeah, we're doing this. Didn't instruct me anything else. And I mean... I knew those people were really competitive in school, but I couldn't help but wonder, had I been a different <laughs> ethnicity or gender, really, would they have been more open to helping me? Uh, even like after, I think we, I don't know what exactly happened. I think I just like confronted them about it. Like, hi, I'm in your group. You kind of have to include me in this because if I do bad, you do bad. So they finally, at least, told me about some of their meeting times and they I did feel like they were dismissive and I'm not too sure but it's I mean I, I don't know what would have happened if I was in a different ethnicity but all I can say is I definitely felt excluded <laughs> so until recently um I kind of let all of that slide but when it started to really like impact me was at the start of this pandemic before the like Canada shut down like all the the world shut down pretty much um I was seeing some of my classmates posting things on Facebook and allowing people to say some frankly really racist comments and they weren't acknowledging that they were racist I saw a lot of people saying oh like Asians and Chinese people are disgusting for eating this or that you know or they're disgusting because they ate bats and they deserve this pandemic and I was like what like I mean there's so many layers to address in that comment that <laughs> just blew my mind I'm also in the environmental sector I'm in geography and well that class was in the geography field and typically we are taught to acknowledge and understand the different layers of social problems and I just you know maybe expected a little bit better 
Yeah. <laughs> and I also heard many classmates say they didn't want to go to Asian grocery stores because when we hear these things, people get scared. And this is not the first time this has happened. Like during SARS, people didn't want to go to Asian-owned businesses uh, and target them and blame them for a lot of the problems going on. And so it was kind of just sad to hear like people in my sector who are studying different social problems also making these comments. I guess it makes you think like people revert to some really primal instincts and reactions. And it was sad to hear this because we can see now a year later how damaging these attitudes are to Asian-owned businesses. Do these attitudes lead to complacency or turning the other way when people say racist things or perform racist actions. So that's kind of my experience in the academic world um, and hearing these comments. Um, but yeah, uh, and it doesn't end there. It just, yeah, it spreads through all aspects of your life. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go into my work experience. And the experience that stuck with me the most was when I worked at a small agro tourism farm uh, that's on the outside of my university town. So I worked there in 2017 and I was the only ethnic person on the whole team of 20. So I stuck out like a sore thumb and I'm not even gonna lie, a good number of the staff were, were blonde haired, blue eyed girls. <laughs> and so I definitely, I definitely stuck out. Um, and this is another moment where it made me think about how I was being treated differently because of my ethnicity. Now, like I said, like racism doesn't have to be straight in your face. It doesn't always have to be someone calling you a bad name. It's sometimes just in your actions and how you treat people. And then you compare it how you treat other people in your group. So when I first started, I didn't think much of it. Like I said, I've predominantly found myself in white spaces and in a way I've almost gravitated towards them so I've built behaviors that allow me to frequent them and feel kind of fine like I yeah I'm just like no it's normalized to me like whatever so I didn't think much about it um but yeah throughout the summer job like I was working a bunch of different roles like I was the tour guide I worked as a cashier I would monitor the monitor the fields I did farm tasks I did the little handcraft tasks that we needed to do but I started to like realize through summer that I was being treated very differently by patrons and by supervisors at my job uh, I got shouted at a lot bullied by patrons I had people swear at me all the time I had people just talk to me extremely rudely and get angry at me and I always try to be so polite when I had to explain to them like why I couldn't do whatever they wanted why I couldn't reduce the pay for entry because I'm just a staff member and I don't control these things but I would then watch like other uh, staff who were obviously white girls and they would just be like no I can't do that and the people would walk away not say anything but they would argue with me and the only thing I could think of was because I'm the only ethnic person on their team 
So, yeah, another way I felt like I was being treated differently was I was expected to meet all these uh, tasks and do all these responsibilities, but I didn't get any kind of acknowledgement for it. Like I was expected to run the largest tours. Like I had tours of a hundred people or more. I was expected to, to play the piano and expected to lead school visits and deal with children because I guess I was the only one that's good with children. I had to help with the farm functions and I actually had to help herd their livestock because they didn't have any other staff that were that were experienced with livestock so I did that and I did it all without any acknowledgement any validation I didn't get any extra compensation so I couldn't help but wonder whether my ethnicity had a part to play on their lack of acknowledgement for all the tasks I was completing I also remembered that they were trying to create social media content and as ambassadors we could be included in that but I was never asked to participate in any of those promotions videos and photos but the other girls on my team would be asked to participate even a professional filmed promo but I was I was working I was there I just wasn't asked to participate yeah sometimes prejudices and beliefs are subconscious and they affect our attitudes and actions towards someone of a different race and that in itself is part of racism and I think people need to like remind themselves of that it doesn't always have to be in your face and you don't always have to use like bad words to be racist so yeah I guess when reflecting on all of these things like I didn't realize how these experiences would shape how I functioned in society as an adult um, and through all the years of my life and yeah I, I didn't realize how much I felt like inferior and wanting to be accepted by people in these wider spaces for many years I sought out to I don't blend in in these spaces and relate to people like to these people who are not Asian um but yeah and like of course I developed behaviors that allowed me to feel more comfortable and that allowed me to feel like I was more accepted and to the point that like I because I said like I distanced myself from my own culture and like I kind of almost rejected my own culture like to the point that now I actually do feel kind of uncomfortable with in spaces with predominantly Asian people because I don't speak Cantonese I don't speak Mandarin and I don't feel like I share enough in common with newer Chinese immigrants so I wanted to relate this back to how I was saying that like BIPOC people can permeate white supremacy and in a way I think I kind of did white supremacy in BIPOC communities can manifest as a white adjacency so like the act of aligning with whiteness and distancing yourself from your own ethnic and racial identity in order to gain access and opportunity and I do feel like I did that to a certain capacity and I I just felt like if I didn't people wouldn't accept me society wouldn't accept me um so yeah that's just a little reminder once again you do not have to be white to harbor white supremacist ideologies thoughts and feelings 
So I guess reflecting on like what 2020 and 2021 has made me realize it doesn't matter how many ways I try to disguise my ethnicity or race through my behaviors and through my language to emulate Western society and like white culture. Um, like I will not ever fully be accepted because um, I'm obviously going to be Chinese. Like this is not changing and that's totally fine. Another thing I realized is anti-Asian sentiment is still alive. It was not addressed after the SARS pandemic in 2004. It was just brushed under the rug and it is completely become unveiled in full <laughs> fury. It is out. People are actively showing their anti-Asian sentiment. And that, honestly, my behaviors that I thought would protect me would allow me to fit in and white spaces will not do that it will not protect me against ignorant racist people they will still see me for my race and now i'm not embarrassed about my ethnicity or my heritage um in the past the comments that i saw about like the asian community like if if i was like me i don't know as a teen or younger i may have felt like embarrassed seeing some of the comments that people were saying about my community and be embarrassed for my community but i don't feel embarrassed i'm tired of seeing politicians and media downplay the asian attacks and the experiences of asian people in america and canada right now and around the world <laughs> but yeah at the end of the day i've started to reflect and think about it and i'm reclaiming reclaiming my heritage because I'm not ashamed of who I am. So let me reintroduce myself. My name is Amanda Wong. I am a Chinese Canadian adoptee who is a badass environmental activist and animal lover who's simply trying to help our planet become a better place. So we've made it to the end of the podcast and I wanted to leave you with a question. What can you do? What can I do? Where do we go from here? Uh, for me, what I know I'm going to do is be more vigilant. I want to call out racist behaviors when I see it. I'm going to become a better ally to other BIPOC communities because that is incredibly important to dismantling white supremacy and dealing with racism. So, yeah. Um, you can support BIPOC communities and BIPOC organizations and listen to their experiences and don't dismiss them. Don't downplay them. Don't play devil's advocate in a space where people are sharing their experiences. Educate yourself. Read books. Talk to people. And genuinely listen. So at the very least, I hope that you took away from this is be respectful and kind to each other. And I thank you for providing me the space to tell my story. And thank you for sticking around and listening to me ramble. Have a great day and I'll catch you in the next episode.